All right, so we're in chapter 3 now, 1 Thessalonians, and so just a little bit of review. Remember that we are uh, seeing a young church that is being persecuted. There, It's a church that when Paul and his men went there, they got ran out of the city, and they are definitely going through things. The Jews, they were so mad at them. They hated them so much when they found out that they were being received well in another city that drove them crazy, and so they decided we're going to go to that city and we're going to get those people all stirred up too. So they're being, uh, you know, they're being afflicted, they're being persecuted, they're not wanting this church to do well and succeed. And so uh, Paul has left Timothy behind to stay there in Thessalonica because he wants to make sure this church succeeds, that uh, good things happen there, because Paul cares very much about these uh, new Christians, and we ought to care about people who get saved it ought to matter to us the things of god ought to be real enough to us uh the coming of christ ought to be real enough to us that we don't want our brothers and sisters to be ashamed at christ's coming we don't want to find that you know we don't want jesus christ to find them not serving the lord that's not going to be a good thing and we'll talk some about that as we go through this and so in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So he's talking about how uh, they left Timotheus there, what the purpose was. And we know that Timothy was somebody who did the work of an evangelist. We see in Second Timothy Four or five. Now, I don't know that this is helping us date Second Timothy. I could be wrong. I have not gone in depth on this. But in Second Timothy chapter four and verse five, Paul says to him, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. So I don't know if he was writing this to Timothy when he was in Thessalonica, because the truth is pretty much everywhere Paul went, there was persecution and affliction. So just because of that, this isn't conclusive evidence. But at the same time, uh, it's interesting how he says, endure afflictions. He says, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And this, and whether this was when Timothy was at Thessalonica or not, it really doesn't matter. Because, but either way, when Timothy was in Thessalonica, this is what he was doing with these people. And it is so important that when there are, we ought to really have a strong desire and a burden to see churches started in places where there are groups of believers. And today we're seeing it more and more where because of things like the internet and people are able to listen to the preaching online, they're, you know, they're learning, they're getting saved. And we're, we're finding out there's a lot of places where there's people that want churches and man, we ought to have a real desire to send someone there, to send evangelists there to go and to get some things established there and to get uh, get a church set up and organize and get it done right. And this is not a sermon about church planning, but I do want to just kind of take this moment to just talk about the importance of that and sending good leadership there. Because one of the things I'm seeing that I think does a lot of damage is people, they get anxious to get a church started somewhere and they start taking shortcuts. And I get being anxious to get churches started. I get it. I don't think anybody wants to start churches more than I want to start churches. But when you do it wrong, you do more damage than you do good. When you do it wrong, you slow things down. And too many times, people, man, they're jumping the gun and they're just getting started before they're ready. And I'm telling you, if you, it's important that you have good, strong leadership there that knows what they're doing. Otherwise, what's going to happen, you're just going to have a bunch of you know, and I'm not saying this in a, in a negative way, but, you know, immature Christians, okay? If you're newly saved and you haven't been in a church for any length of time, there's a lot of things you're not going to understand. There's a lot of things you're not going to be ready for. Nobody's down on these people for it. Just like, in, and we're going to see more evidence of this too later, I think there's some evidence too that these Christians in Thessalonica, you know, they had some areas where they needed to kind of work on in their personal lives. That's pretty normal for new Christians to have some areas in their personal life where they're struggling a little. That's that's real normal. Nobody's down on these people, but you know what? They need help. They need leadership. And if you get a bunch of people like that together and they just try forming a church and when they they don't have the right kind of leadership, when they don't have the right kind of structure, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of division. 
There's going to be a lot of fighting. Things are going to fall apart. And there's going to be a lot of hard feelings. And then if you send somebody there later, after a bunch of damage has been done, it's too late at that point. And you're, so overall, let me just say this. Things are always done the fastest when they're done right. But to do things right, sometimes you got to wait longer to start something than what we would like. And it never, never pays to just jump the gun and get in a hurry. It's going to slow you down. But uh, we do need more evangelists. We need more people that are uh, ready and able to go to these places and get things established. And, uh, you know, it, what am I... I hope it's, this is just kind of a desire of mine someday, not today, not next year, probably not in the next 10 years, uh, especially while I have younger kids. But, you know, I kind of hope one of these days I'm just able to go and be an evangelist, not meaning preaching from church to church, meaning I go to different, just move to different cities where there is a group of believers and get a church started, train some people, start a church, ordain a pastor. And then move on and go to another church. You know, do it again somewhere else. That's what I'm hoping I can do one of these days. I think I think I would enjoy something like that. I might change my mind ten years from now. But I do see a need right now. It's just when you have eight kids and you know you don't want to just go moving to different cities all the time. And and the way I look at it too, I, you know, we've been here. We're in the tenth year right now. I just went full time. It's been one year now. I've been full time. I feel like I'm just getting started. And so I don't, I don't want to start all over. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, worked too hard, took too long to get here. I don't feel like starting over yet. And you know what? I don't think the Lord's calling me to, and I'm thankful and I'm not volunteering, but, uh, but maybe someday, but either way, anyway, verse three, it says that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. No, no, that we are appointed there too. So notice again, he mentions afflictions. And he also, when he's writing to the Thessalonians, where he's left Timotheus, and he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to endure afflictions. Again, they had afflictions everywhere they went. doesn't mean this was around that same time, but it's very possible. It's very possible. I don't know. I've not completely studied that out. But it's interesting, though, how it's very clear we have not been called to a life of ease. The salvation is not necessarily just a way to make your life easier. Now, I get it. Okay, We've all got our magic verses. The way of the transgressor is hard. Yes, that's true. Yes, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. But that doesn't mean there aren't unique challenges to those who are saved. That there aren't unique challenges to those who are trying to live a righteous and holy life. If you're trying to live a righteous and holy life, one of the afflictions you're going to have to endure is grief from your family when you don't want to go to their drinking parties and things. That's going to be, and, and that's going to be hard for you to deal with. If you weren't saved, you wouldn't have to deal with that. But at the same time, if you weren't saved, then you get to deal with being a drunk and all the problems that comes with that. So understand, it's all, you know, overall, I always, I always believe you're going to be better off. It's going to be easier being a Christian, but it doesn't mean there aren't afflictions that come as a result of that. And they can be very, very difficult. But at the end of the day, even if we die a martyr's death, we're still better off than we would be if we lived the life of Eason went, than went to hell. So, uh, you know, we can kind of see, you know, both things are kind of true where, yes, it's easier being a Christian, but it's also hard too. It's just di it's different challenges. But again, when Paul's telling the Thessalonians here that not to be moved by afflictions, saying you've been appointed to afflictions, it kind of makes it hard for us to imagine when he's in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words, that he's telling them you're never going to have to go through tribulation, that that's the comfort. That's, that's kind of hard to you know, get that interpretation when we know what it says in chapter 3, and chapter 2, and chapter 1. makes it really hard when you look at context. And we'll probably say more about that next week. But verse 4 says, for verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Okay? So now it's really hard for you to say, you know, when Paul said comfort one another, these words, that they won't have to go through the tribulation. When Paul said, you're going through tribulation, and I, or I told you you were going to go through tribulation, and guess what? It happened. 
And you know what? No, I don't think any of these Thessalonians said when Paul told them, you've been appointed to tribulation. I thought we weren't appointed under wrath. <laughs> I think they, I think they understood the difference because we do see just in first Thessalonians, wrath coming for the Jews and tribulation coming for the church. That's what we see through the whole book of first Thessalonians. And that's why I, it's just, it's amazing when you go through and you understand everything that they were dealing with. And then you see what people do with first Thessalonians four and five. It'll just, it blows your mind. I mean, he flat out tells them, and I get it. This isn't referring to the tribulation, but let me ask you this. Okay. Cause we are, we're, we're trying to focus on some of the prophecy in this. Where in the Bible, okay, do we see the title given for Daniel's 70th week, whatever you want to call it, the tribulation? Can anybody tell me where that's at? Is that in Daniel chapter 9? Does it even use the word tribulation? No. You know where that comes from? The tribulation. That comes from Matthew 24. And what it does is after it's going through all the things, the wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, all pestilence, all that kind of stuff, after the abomination of desolation, it says, and then shall be great tribulation. But is, is that a title or is it a thing? It's a thing. Now, the great tribulation, the tribulation, okay? The great tribulation, all lowercase. The tr great, that great tribulation that's mentioned, it's a thing. It's not a title of an event. Just because of that phrase, then shall be great tribulation, people have decided just from that, three and a half year tribulation, three and a half year great tribulation. It's on all the charts, folks. But that, that, that term for that is only used there in Matthew 24, and it's not a title. Okay? It's not a title. It's a thing. And so we just need to understand that tribulation, it doesn't have to refer to an end times event that's seven years. Anything that we go through that's a trial or a tribulation is tribulation. And we see Christians constantly dealing with tribulation in the Bible. And when you see Christians constantly dealing with tribulation, when you see Paul saying, I told you tribulation was coming and it came, why in the world would we as theologians declare tribulation is God's wrath? That doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense at all. And you need to take all these things in consideration. If you understand all that, if you know what's been going on throughout this whole book and you hear Brian Denlinger get up and he's pre, you know, going through first Thessalonians chapter four and he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words is God comforting them that they won't have to go through tribulation. You will look at that man and say, you are nuts. And I've heard him do it and he's not the only one that does that kind of thing. A lot of people do that very thing, hoping that their audience is ignorant of what the letter of First Thessalonians is all about. They're just going to assume that you don't know about it and that you're not going to read it. But folks, this was a church that Paul had told, you're going to go through tribulation. And sure enough, it happened. They did go through tribulation, just like Paul said. So we need to understand, too. You know, it's important for leadership in the church to prepare people for what's coming, even if it's unpleasant to hear. Paul told them these things. Paul let them know what was coming. Paul wasn't stupid. Paul knew what happens when he goes to cities. Paul remembered what happened to him when he was in Philippi and the way he was treated. And after they were done with him, you know what? I'm sure they messed with the his followers there, too. Everywhere he went, it was it was causing trouble for these people, but it was worth it. These people are getting saved. They're hearing the gospel. This was a necessary thing, but it is important for leadership to let people know what's coming. And that's one of the reasons too, you know, when I've been places too, where they're looking for pastors and need pastors. And a lot of times you know, I get really burdened for these places, but you know, I'm not stupid. I've been around. I've been involved in the ministry my whole life. And a lot of times when I've, when I've been in these places, I see major problems or I see major needs and it's like, I know what's coming for these people. And it's like, you know, I somebody needs to prepare them. And unfortunately, what they need a lot of times is somebody actually there ready to lead. You know, we listen, I'm sorry. You can't just go and get it, find a guy out there that's got two kids and then just, boom, he's ready to just lead a group. 
That's nuts. It's just, it's not going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. And it's, and, you know, it's a, a shepherd. He pays attention to these things. He knows the signs of problems. When there's pro- going to be problems with the sheep, he, he knows the signs of when wolves are coming and how to spot those things. And it is so important that, you know, it's one of my jobs to let people know what's coming and to warn people and get them ready. And I believe that's one of the things that Paul did. Paul used Timothy to do these things. We see Jesus did this with his disciples in John 16, 1. Uh, after Jesus has told them about a bunch of bad things that are coming, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. And he's like, well, the thing is, if problems are coming, you know, what's going to stop them from being offended? Well, a lot of times what causes people to be offended is when they're surprised, when they didn't know it was coming. If Jesus would have been preaching Joel Osteen, Robert Tilton type messages where, hey, if you follow me, everything's going to be sunshine and roses. When these guys start getting persecuted, they're going to be shook up a little bit. But Jesus didn't tell them that was going to happen. You know what he said? People are going to try to kill you. And then when people tried to kill them, you know what none of them were doing? What happened, Jesus? Am I not in your will? No, this is... Jesus said this was what was going to happen. And that doesn't sound good. That doesn't make people, you know, excited. Okay. People, they see the way our church gets attacked all the time. And you know what? It doesn't motivate a lot of people to want to be like us. It doesn't motivate a lot of people to want to preach like we do when you get the kind of attacks that we do, when you get a bunch of homo atheists that just attack you, put junk out there, and then you have a bunch of trendies that jump on board with it and they promote the same junk. Supposed Christians that, that promote that kind of trash. There's a lot of other preachers out there. They look at that stuff and say, I don't want any of that. But let me tell you, you come through this church, you want to be trained here. We're going to let you know, hey, if you preach the truth, be ready for a bunch of homos to come after you. You preach the truth, be ready for a bunch of skinny jean trendies to come after you. And to use the exact same tactics that the homos use. Be ready for that. Why are you telling me that, Pastor? I don't like it. You want to hear that? Because I don't want you to be offended when it happens. I want you to be ready because I don't want you compromising and putting on the skinny jeans. I don't want you doing that stuff. I don't want you to have to give in. I don't want you to have to go crying to these people to make, you know, feel like, to make them like you. I want you to stand up to them and to be ready for these things. Paul did, Paul did that. Paul warned these people. He let them know. Jesus did it. He let them know. He said, they shall put you out of synagogues. You're going to get kicked out of the club, boys. He said, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. You know, a lot of people that attack us think they're doing the Lord's work. There's a lot. You know how many people are out there on YouTube and stuff always making videos? I mean, that's their ministry to expose people like me. What a stupid ministry. But, you know, they, you know, but you know what? If you put these people on a lie detector, they think they're doing the Lord's work. Well, that's, you know, Maybe I am the bad guy. These people seem so sincere. No, they are sincere. But Jesus said there are going to be people come that are going to think that they're doing God a service for killing you. So I'm not surprised by that. Yes, these people are just genuinely deceived. God bless them. I hope he opens their eyes. I hope one of these days when they're watching one of my sermons trying to find something where I slip up so they can expose me, I hope one of these days they actually hear the truth and the Holy Spirit breaks through that heart of stone and they get saved. That's what I hope actually happens. But you know what? I have no excuse to do it. I have no excuse to get offended when that happens to me because it's not like we weren't warned. You know, I'm trying to follow the example of Jesus. I'm trying to follow the example of the disciples. What should I, what should I expect? I should expect the same thing. I should expect the same thing to happen. So there's no excuse for me to be offended. He says, and these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. These people just, they're lost. They're not saved. That's all there is to it. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things said I not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus specifically told them, I'm telling you this. So when it happens, you'll know. And that way they wouldn't be offended. They can know we can trust God. And Jesus did this for his disciples. Now, this was something John the Baptist didn't have. When John the Baptist was sitting in prison, Remember what he said? They, he sent his disciples to Jesus and saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? You know, he kind of wondered and had some doubts. 
he was, you know, he was still a great man. After that, Jesus said, there's not another man born of women greater than John. But he was a little shook up after what he was going through. And so Jesus warned his disciples, you know what that's called? That's called just being tactful. And you know what? We should use tact when revealing difficult truths. We ought to, we ought to do that with people. You know, as a, as a pastor, you know, I want to be tactful and how I, you know, bring these things forward. You know, we don't want to just go to, and notice how he said, I didn't say this in the beginning because I was with you. You know, I'm telling you now, you know, then wasn't the time for him to tell him those things. But at this point, now was the time. You know, there's some things we don't need to unload on people the first time they come to church. You know, there's some things we don't need to unload on people right after they get saved. You know, we don't, we don't really need to do this. You know, right after you get somebody saved, that's probably not the time to start talking about the tribulation and the mark of the beast, getting heads chopped off. I, I wouldn't bring that up just yet. Let's see if we can get them baptized first. Let's see if we can get them in church and, and get them growing. Let's, let's use some tact on these things. That might not be the time to hit them with the reprobate doctrine first thing. It's unpopular. That, you know, that, use a little bit of tact. It's okay to do that. But at the end, you know, it should be the goal. I know it's my goal as a pastor. I want to preach the whole counsel of God. I don't want to hold anything back from anybody, but I do want to use some tact when it comes to these things. And even Jesus used that with his disciples. So I think we can learn from that. So uh, look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because one thing we don't want to do, we should, and this is where we can kind of, you know, you got to be careful. Sometimes people hold back the truth just out of fear of making people uncomfortable. There's a difference. There's a difference between just using some tact with people and somebody just being a coward. It's amazing how some people, they've been in their church for 10 years and their pastor still hasn't gotten the courage to tell them anything uncomfortable. You know, I don't, and I, I'm not going to say how long it takes, but look what it says in 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And that was the verse we looked at earlier. And so notice that, you know, there are, there's many people out there. They're afraid to preach the truth because they've got a bunch of carnal people that want their ears tickled. They want somebody to just get up and tell them stories, to tell them fables, to make them just feel good. And it's just, and that's why we have so many carnal churches today. Isn't it interesting that when you have a church that does of all the things that we don't like, that we can't find a Bible verse against, okay? You know, like the purple lights, the skinny jeans, the bistro tables, all the stuff that we harp on. Why is it? that they never get up and preach any uncomfortable truths. Why is that? I want to hear somebody in a church like that sitting on his bar stool. I want to hear them preach against the homos. I want to hear them call them sodomites. I want to hear, you know, I want to, I, I want to hear them just say it's an abomination without apologizing and crying for five minutes before they do it. I'm sorry. I don't understand people who don't get fired up by that stuff. You know, we, and, and I get it. You know, we want to be nice, you know, use some tact and everything. But I mean, literally, just to get some of these people to say it's an abomination, they are practically in tears when they say, like, Lord's forcing me to say this. I don't want to. I love you. you know, I'm a sinner just as bad as all of you. You know, but, you know, I, who am I to question God? He said it's an abomination. I, it doesn't bother me. You know. But I got to say it or I'm going to easily get exposed as a fraud and a heretic. That's what they do. They, I, I've literally watched these people almost cry just to say that it's a sin. And then they try to act like all that carnal junk that we harp on doesn't matter and it doesn't mean anything. No, it shows me what you are. It shows me that you are a carnal preacher 
preaching to carnal people and using carnal means to get them in. You don't care about the things of God. You don't care about the things of the Spirit. And you know what? I'll eat my words. All right? I will on, I will publicly eat a cheeseburger. All right? If you can show me a guy ripping on the homos, sitting on a bar stool by a bistro table with purple lights, ripping on the homos. You're not going to find it. Okay? I'll go look for Sasquatch before I'll go look for that. Because it's just not, it's not going to happen. And we need, and so these things are what reveal that. Paul said it was coming. Here's what I want to know. Okay. Paul said it was coming. So if it's not where I'm saying it is, where is it? You know, where is this? Where are these teachers? You know, where, where, where are these people telling the fables to the, the crowds with the itching ears? Where, where is that at? I'll tell you where it's at. I, I, I've told you where it's at. We know where it's at. And they're doing that because these people are. They're all, it's all about the flesh. And you know, we don't have the right to be that way. I don't have the right as a pastor to just get up here and tickle your ears and entertain you people just to make you all feel good. I'm, I'm supposed to preach the word. I'm supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm supposed to preach the hard truths. Okay. I have to do that. And you know what? Forgive me if I don't feel like crying about it when I do it. You know, I've just always thought if I've got to do something, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do it with all my might, and I'm going to have fun doing it in the meantime. And so, you know, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy preaching against the homos. I enjoy preaching against all this stuff that makes people uncomfortable. Lord told me to do it, and and I don't think I'm bad for enjoying myself while doing it. I don't. I think it's okay to take pleasure in what the Lord has called us to do. And I don't, I don't apologize for it one bit, not one bit. Verse 5 says, For this cause, uh, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now, what does he mean by that? All right, if, if these people, he's gone, he's preaching, if they've gotten saved, then how could that labor be in vain? Because they're still saved, right? But you got to remember, it's not, we're not just trying to get people saved. Now understand something. There may be some of you in here where that's your thing. That is your, uh, some people, maybe they're not good at a lot of other things. They're not interested in a lot, of, but soul winning is like their thing. You know, they're, they're good at that. They enjoy doing that. But you got to understand, while that might be your gift, that might be an area where God has placed you in the church and you're a huge blessing in that area, as a church, it's not just our job to get people saved. We're also supposed to baptize them. We're supposed to teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded. We're supposed to do all those things as a church. And so, you know, you as an individual, that might not really be your thing. You might not be, you know, into discipleship and doing that kind of stuff that much. But as a church, we've got to be doing that stuff. As a church, that is our job, and we don't want to be failing in that area. We don't want to be just neglecting those things. We need to have as much focus on that as a whole as we possibly can, because if we don't, if we just go and we're just getting people saved and they're never doing anything for God, they're never producing any fruit, then we're never going to be able to multiply like we need to. We're supposed to be multiplying. We're supposed to be reaching the world and it's so important that when we get people saved, we try to get them to be fruitful also. We need them getting people saved too. And so when Paul and they and them, when they went through Thessalonica and they did all that work that they did, yes, you can't take away those salvations, but they were also wanting to establish a work that would go on because new generations were going to come along. New people are, are, are going to come and they're going to be born and... You know, they wanted people to continue getting saved throughout time and for the next generations. And so if that's going to happen, you have to help people to be fruitful. We can go to a town somewhere, another city somewhere where there's no church, and we can get some people saved. And thank God, they'll go to heaven and they won't go to hell. But if we don't disciple these people, then the only thing that will ever be accomplished is just what we did and nothing else. We want to go somewhere and get something started that continues. And so that's going to happen when we disciple people and when we teach them the whole counsel of God 
where we get them ready, we prepare them, and but unfortunately, Satan often comes along and he tempts people and he gets them out of the work of the Lord and they become unfruitful and they don't bear fruit. And then all that work you did, not trying to get them saved, but trying to make them good Christians. All that labor that the Apostle Paul did with these people, teaching them, discipling them, exhorting them. If they're just going to quit, if they're going to flop out, then it's all in vain at that point because they're not producing fruit anymore. Paul was trying to get a work started that would keep going. And that's why that's what he meant by the labor being in vain. This is not evidence that you could lose your salvation, uh, not at all, only if you are absolutely 100% ignoring context. And we can't expect people, just because they get saved, to be able to do everything they need to do. They need help. They're a babe in Christ. Just because a baby is born does not mean it's just going to grow up and live a normal life Unless you take care of that baby, unless you feed and help and train and raise them, they're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. And we it's the same thing when people get saved. And so Paul, he was not worried about them losing their salvation, but he was worried about them losing their effectiveness. That is possible. And we've got to understand that too. The work that we the, you know, the work that I do, preaching, it's not just it's not to get you people saved. It's to make you better Christians. And if you all just decide, you know what, we're done, we quit, we're joining the world, then why did we do all this? You know, why, why all this work? You know, why, you know, why did we get this building? Why have we been doing all these things if we're all just going to quit and we're not getting anybody else saved? It just, what, what was the point of the last 10 years? Thank God for the people that got saved, but, you know, that, but, all this work that we've done in here with all of you, if we all just quit, it was pointless. And I can't imagine anything worse. I don't want to, I don't want to be wasting my time. We want to accomplish things. So verse six says, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith in charity that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. In all our affliction and distress by your faith, for now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. So this was a very comforting thing when they know they're going through all this stuff. When they, when, they, when Timothy comes back and they find out, hey, they stayed by the stuff. They stayed true. They've endured the afflictions. They're still getting the job done. That was comforting them because Paul, again, was dealing with afflictions. He was dealing with persecutions. And if after all the work they did in Thessalonica, if the persecution would have made everything just flop out, then that would have discouraged them in the current situation that they're in. But they're now wherever they were at at this point, and they're dealing with conflict, it gave them hope that these people we're currently working with, they're going to make it too. Those people in Thessalonica made it. In fact, Paul even referenced how they would tell other people about their faith. We've been telling others, we've been telling people at the church we're at right now about the things that you guys are doing. That way they're not feeling sorry for themselves. They're hearing about how you guys stuck by the stuff and it's encouraging them. They're saying if they can do it in Thessalonica, you better believe that we can do it over here. That motivation it helped. And so this was something that it was a great comfort to them. This is the goal. And there is nothing more encouraging than seeing those that you've you know, ministered to years later still serving God. And you know what? Nothing's more discouraging than watching people quit. You know, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, anytime I go back to uh, my, my former church and I see many of the same people there still faithfully serving the Lord. I'm thankful when I see people that were in my youth group when I was over there that are adults now, having kids, still faithful in church. It makes me feel good. You know, and I, I it make, you know, and I know not everything that they're doing today is because of me, but it makes me feel good to know that, you know, I had a little part in, maybe had a little part in that. Maybe something I did stuck with them and they're still doing the right thing. It makes me feel good. But you know what doesn't make me feel good? Whenever you come across these people, maybe you come across them on Facebook or something. Oh, hey, I remember that. You, know, you look them up and then you're like seeing all the pictures of terrible things. And it's, it's discouraging. 
It's it's really sad to see that kind of thing. And you know, you see that a lot. It, there, that, I mean, that is a very uh, common thing to see those that disappoint you. But you know what? I'm thankful there's a lot that have not disappointed me. There's a lot of people from my past that are still doing right. They're still serving the Lord. And that encourages me. It fires me up and motivates me. And we need to remember that too. You know, you're you're helping motivate somebody else. Whether you know it or not, you're helping motivate somebody. And you need to stick with it because people are watching you. Paul said, I have, or not Paul, John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I think everyone would agree with that, especially anyone in the ministry. And so verse 10 says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So there were still some things that they needed to learn. They had, you know, this church, it's a young church, said so they, they have some issues, but their hearts were in the right place. They're going in the right direction. And it was Paul's desire to get there, not so he could just nail their hides against the wall for all the areas where they're wrong. Cause Paul understood why, you know, they didn't have everything. We didn't get as much time with them as we needed. They're a young church. They got a lot of things working against them right now. Paul was able to take all those things into consideration. He understood what these people were going through, what they were dealing with, what they've been given, and his expectations weren't too high. And sometimes we expect way too much from people. Sometimes we expect way too much from new Christians. Or we even expect too much from people who just have really tough circumstances. You know, they've they've got uh maybe they don't have they're not in the best marriage. Maybe they've got some baggage from their past and things that they're dealing with that make it really hard to be a good Christian. And often we just expect everybody to do everything we're doing and be just like us. And we have a really bad attitude towards those that are maybe lacking in some areas. But understand, you know, it's okay if people are lacking in some areas, as long as they're going the right direction. And we ought to try to help them and encourage them. And that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to perfect or complete that which is lacking in their faith. Hey, there's some things you guys don't completely understand yet. There's some things you're wondering about. I'm anxious to teach these things to you. I'm looking forward to getting there and seeing your face. And you know what? When we see each other, I'm ready to tell you. We're, we're going we're gonna to straighten all the stuff out with you guys. You're going to understand this. Uh, I can help you with these things. And that ought, that ought to be our desire, to just to help people, to teach them, to have that attitude and and because you know there was probably a concern that because they didn't have as much time with them as they needed because they did they got ran out of town you know there was probably a part of them thinking they're not going to be ready for the challenges and temptations that they knew were coming their way and but yet this church even without having a lot of those things that they needed they were still doing the right thing and that uh, that fired up Paul that's a wonderful thing so verse eleven says now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Lord, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay? Now, I'm going to get into this later, but let me just say this right now. Jesus Christ coming with his saints in 1 Thessalonians 3 is, in fact, the rapture. It is not Armageddon. I'm going to prove that to you next week. Okay? Jesus Christ coming with his saints, as Paul stated in 1 Thessalonians 3, it is not Armageddon. It is the rapture. And you say, why would anybody even say that? Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we have the famous rapture passage that everyone agrees is our rapture, Immediately after that, he's talking about the day of the Lord. Now, you and I, we believe, you know, we teach here that the day of the Lord is when the rapture takes place. But the pre-tribbers teach that, no, that's when Jesus comes back at Armageddon. And we all know when he comes back at Armageddon, he's on the white horse and his saints are following him. And so what they will do is they try to make 1 Thessalonians 5 referring to Armageddon rather than the rapture, even though throughout the entire book of 1 Thessalonians, it's been the rapture that he's been talking about. The whole book. And if you 
if you show that from one through four, it's always the rapture. And then all of a sudden in chapter five, you try to make it about an event seven years later. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're being honest. But if they can say, well, no, because he was talking about Armageddon in First Thessalonians 3, and proof of it is because he's saying he's coming with the saints. Well, I'm going to prove to you that Christ's coming with the saints, as stated right here in First Thessalonians, is in fact the rapture. Okay, And you're going to have to hold on for that next week. It's real easy to prove. If you're honest with the scriptures, if you look at context, if you use any proper hermeneutic whatsoever, every time you're going to say this is the same event. What he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4, that the event in 1 Thessalonians 4 is the same event as in 1 Thessalonians 3. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. But we need to understand that more importantly than timing stuff here, kind of getting sidetracked, just giving you a little promo for next week. We need to understand, though, Jesus is coming back. And we should be preparing ourselves to meet him by living a holy life. That's what he said there. Notice what he says. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We, when Jesus Christ returns, we should want to be, we should be ready. Meaning, we're living a holy life. Meaning, we're doing the things that God has called us to do, meaning we're not sleeping, meaning you know, the, what God has commanded, we're doing the work of the Lord. We're not in rebellion. We're not in disobedience. That's what it means. Now, turn over to Mark chapter 13. I want to show you something here in Mark chapter 13, because people like to argue about these. And I think I think when it comes to a lot of the parables that Jesus did at the end of the Olivet Discourse, people, they go a little too deep in these parables sometimes to where they end up losing, missing the point. But I think it's pretty clear what we see here in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. It says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. That's the rapture. Okay? And the Rukmanites would disagree, but I haven't got time to prove that. That's the rapture. Take ye heed, watch and pray. For you know not when the time is. What time? The time of the rapture. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now, what does it mean to watch there? Okay, he commanded the porter to watch. Well, if you command somebody to be watching for you in return, when that, that porter returns, or when you return, you expect him to be there looking ready to receive you. Okay? You know, a, a porter, they were often somebody who would open the door. All right? Uh, uh, they were a doorkeeper. And so whenever he was coming home, maybe he, was, he might come home late or something, and he didn't want to have to be beaten on the door. He wanted a porter to be there ready doing his job. That way when he came, he's ready there to open the door. And so he's, he's supposed to be watching. Now, that's literally what you'd be doing if you were a porter waiting for the master to come. But what was Jesus saying to these people here when he's telling them to watch? Well, I think there's a couple ways that we can do that. If we go to, and we don't have time, if we go to Matthew 25, where he gives the parable of the foolish virgins, you know, five are wise, five are foolish. I think part of being ready for the return of Christ is, one, being saved. We don't want to not be saved when Jesus Christ comes back. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. And ultimately what it takes to be ready is salvation. We need that imputed righteousness in order to, be, uh, to go to heaven, in order to be acceptable when Jesus Christ comes back. But you know what? What... One thing we see crystal clear throughout all the writings of Paul is that as Christians, we are supposed to live a certain way after we get saved. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us to deny those things. That's how we're supposed to live and one of these days when Jesus Christ returns, he expects us to be in a 
state of watching and readiness. A porter who is ready for the master to return home is not going to be sleeping when he comes home because the master needs him to do something. He's got a job for him. If he's sleeping, he's not going to do it right. He's not going to do it the way the master wants wants it done. And those of us as Christians, we have been given a work to do. We have been given a job. And when the Lord returns, he expects to find us being obedient. He expects to find us doing the things that he commanded the church to do 2,000 years ago. That's the state we need to be in when he returns. Not sleeping, meaning slacking off. Not sleeping, meaning just doing something else, doing our own thing. Going another way, when he comes back, we want him to find us doing exactly what he called us to do. And as a church, we've got to understand that our job, it is it is fulfilling all the Great Commission, and we need to prepare people for this. I don't know what is, how it's all going to look. I don't know what it's all going to be like. But folks, I promise you, If you're not serving the Lord when Jesus Christ returns, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be sorry. When you stand before him at judgment day and your works are tried by fire, if you don't have any works, you're going to regret it. And we have a responsibility after we get people saved to try to help them to get ready for Christ's return. That's our job. It's not going to happen. People aren't just going to magically be ready just because we got them saved. Thank God they won't go to hell. But we want them to have some works too. You know, as a pastor, it's my desire when I see all of you stand before God and your works are tried by fire, you know what? I hope to see some gold, silver, and precious stones. I hope to see that. And if I see that, you know what? It'll make me feel good. It will make me happy. You know what? If I, if when Jesus Christ returns, If you're there in the presence of the Lord, it is coming. You know, it's going to be a crowd of rejoicing to me. Imagine one of these days to stand there and to see people that you brought to Christ, to see people that you got saved, that you helped disciple, you encourage them to serve the Lord, and they are there and they are ready. And they're not scared of Christ coming. They're smiling at Christ coming. They're not crying at judgment day when their works are tried. They're rejoicing because of the rewards that they received. That's what we should want for people. And when we fail to help people in this area, we are failing these people. And I get it. We can't make anybody do anything. We're not going to waste a whole bunch of time twisting arms and trying to con people into coming to church. But we should do something. We should make some kind of effort. We should have, you know, we, you know, we should try to figure out more ways that we can, uh, you know, reach out and follow up with these people because if they don't start living for the Lord, They're not going to be prepared to meet Jesus at his coming, and that's not going to be good for them. And we we ought we understand what's coming. We ought to be trying to help them. So we should have a greater burden for those that we get saved. If they don't start serving the Lord, their lives aren't going to get better while they're on this earth. You can get saved, but you keep living like the devil, your life's still going to stink. They need to they need to change their life. You know what they need to do after we get them saved? After we get these people saved. That we need to try to get them to repent of their sins. That's what we need to do. That way, they will have a better life. We don't want them to be ashamed that it's coming. We ought to increase our burden for fellow believers. It, you should want to see your brothers and sisters standing there with you, serving the Lord when Jesus Christ returns. We ought to encourage people to live their lives for the Lord, to be obedient, to be fruitful, because Jesus is coming back. That, that ought to be our attitude. That, that ought to be something just like your kids sometimes for love for their brothers and sisters will sometimes tell them, hey, you better not do that. Mom and dad's going to see that. If mom and dad catches you doing that. You're in big trouble. You know, we ought to be the same way with our brothers and sisters in Christ saying, you know, Jesus is coming back. Are you sure you want to lay out a church right now? Are you sure you want to take a break from the things of God right now? Jesus is coming back one of these days. Oh, but we're post-trib. We can just wait until it's all, you know, just about to go. Listen, we know better than that. We know better than that. We know better than to think that if you can't serve the Lord right now when things are good, that you're going to be serving Him when things are bad. Man, we we ought to, I mean, more than ever, being post-trib ought to motivate us to keep people faithful. 
Because we know how fast things can change, don't we? If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that things can change real fast. Folks, I mean, there's, there's talk, there's war stuff going on right now. We've got conflicts going on with Syria and Israel and Russia's getting involved. There's all these things going on right now. All somebody's got to do is drop a nuke and our world has completely changed. All somebody's got to do is just talk about a nuke and our world gets changed. It doesn't even have to happen anymore. All we got to do is to get the news reporting on it, get the news and the government all working together on these things, and our world has completely changed. We, It can happen just like that. It can change on a dime. And, I mean, it, one natural disaster, one major earthquake to change, change everything, one horrible weather event to just will convince everybody that climate change is real and we need the government to take over our lives to save all of us. If people aren't serving God now, they're not going to change whenever things get more difficult. There's Understand, when all these things are going down, when it really starts getting bad, when we're in that tribulation, you got to understand, during that time, Satan's ramping up his efforts during that time too. He's going to have his false prophets deceiving people. The Antichrist is going to be doing many signs and lying wonders. So I don't care if we're post-trib. If you, you need to be ready today for the coming of Christ or you will not be ready when he returns. That doctrine doesn't change anything there. I'm right there with the pre-tribbers on that. You need to be ready for Jesus Christ to come back today. Today, you need, that's what, I'll stand with them on that. People need to be ready today. Even if according to our eschatology, it's not going to be today. If you're not ready today, there's a very strong chance you won't be ready when he does come back. That's why you better get right now, and we need to be preparing people for this. We need to be getting people ready. We've got to get these people that are getting saved. We've got to encourage them to repent of their sins. We've got to encourage them to start living their life for the Lord, to get in church, to start being fruitful, because if they don't, they're going to be sorry when Jesus Christ returns. And if they do, it's going to be the greatest thing ever when he comes back and so with that let's pray dear lord we thank you so much for your word lord and i just pray you'll uh just use this message lord to motivate all of us to prepare ourselves lord but also to prepare others help us to uh just be willing to just mentor and disciple people lord it, it takes a lot of work sometimes and a lot of patience but i just pray you'll you'll give each one here a burden for the loss and especially or especially for the saved people that they reach that we'll just have an extra burden to reach out to these people and to try to get them into church and to get them living for you and help them be fruitful christians and i just pray lord that we will that we will be ready when you come back in your name we pray amen